Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Well, good morning, church fam. How's it going? My name is Marcus, and I am one of the pastors here at City Church. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis 11. Genesis 11. Now, if you're joining us for the first time this week, whether uh, in this room or online, uh, first off, welcome. We're so glad that you are here. We are in week three of a series all about work, and more specifically, how we think about and how we approach work. Now, last week, Jeff, one of our pastors, actually talked a little bit about this idea of calling. And specifically, he talked about how it is possible for us to be able to put love into our work, to see our work as a calling, even if we don't happen to love whatever it is that we do. That even though, uh, for those of us who feel like we are working a dead-end job, or a job that, that we don't want to be at, that even still we can find purpose and significance in what we do. Now today, I want us to be able to tackle another common problem that many people have when it comes to work. And the best way I know to be able to kind of wrap our brains, wrap our minds around this problem is to be able to describe a few uh, common scenarios for us. So imagine with me, imagine with me uh, that there is a young woman. Let's say that she's in her mid-20s or so, and she just got offered her first job right out of college. And it's it's exactly as she had envisioned it would be, right? It's a great job. It's in her field. Uh, uh, it's a really good company. I mean, there's great benefits, you guys, great benefits. Um, and she is six months into her job, and honestly, it's exhilarating. She's actually so good at her job that, that her coworkers, her, uh, uh, her peers, her higher-ups are all noticing her. They're all noticing how passionate she is at her job. So you can imagine things are, are going pretty well, right? And honestly, it's because of that that she can't seem to stop working. It's like she can't turn it off. She takes her, her laptop home every night and knocks out a few things here, a few things there while she eats takeout dinner. She works until she falls asleep, right? She works until she falls asleep working, and she wakes up each morning, guess what? Working. She has a few sort of kind of friends, but no real deep friendships, and most of those are acquaintances from work. Because again, she's always working, so she doesn't have time for anything else. So that's scenario number one. Scenario number two, uh, uh, this time it's a young man who is in his mid-30s, and he's already had too many jobs or too many career changes for him to count. He says uh, uh, he stays at each job for a few months, and somehow none of those jobs end up being quite what he wanted them to be. They always seem a bit boring, really, a little bit unfulfilling. None of them make him excited to tell people what he is doing for a living. So because of that, he works at each job only for a few months, maybe a year, and then either quits because he's over it or gets fired because he cares so little about his job. Mind you, he does it poorly. Every time he hears about a new opportunity, he doesn't even think twice about quitting his current job to take the new job. 
Sometimes he doesn't even wait for the next opportunity to present himself. He actually just jumps ship because he's tired of his current job, and he works odd jobs while he waits for the next thing to happen for him. All right, last scenario. This one's a little different. This time, imagine with me a young mom, late 20s, early 30s, uh, a couple of young children at home uh, that she is responsible for, seemingly 24-7. Now, if, if there was one word that would sum up the mood uh, of this young mom. It would be, her default mood uh, uh, would be anxiety. She constantly feels like she is failing at being a good mom, whatever that means. And so her day-to-day mood just rests on this low-grade sense of inadequacy. She reads all of the parenting blogs. She reads all of the parenting books. You know, she checks out all the Instagram accounts. But they all make it look and sound so much easier than what it actually is. But the longer it goes on, the more anxiety she feels about her parenting. She has begun to feel like her perceived failures as a mom means she has failed as a human being. She's not good at the one thing she feels like she is supposed to be good at. And it's affecting most, if not every arena of her life. So there we have three different people Three different scenarios and three different attitudes towards work. But as different as they might seem, there is one common thread that runs through them all. There's a belief at work in all three of these people and likely for many of us in the room today. And here's how I like to articulate that belief. Work is where I find my identity. Work is where I find my identity. Now, I think that... that This is uh, what each of those people, and likely, again, some of us here, believe about our work, at least at a functional level, that if we find the right job that we were made to do and are good at it enough, we will feel more whole and more complete as human beings. So the reason why the young woman at her dream job cannot stop working is because her work is the thing that is fueling her identity. The more she works, the more full and at peace she is with her identity, right? The reason why the young man, he continues to jump from job to job, career to career, is because none of them are quite giving him the identity he thinks they should provide. He thinks he was uh, uh, meant for more. And he keeps thinking the next job or the next job, or really the next job will finally achieve that thing for him. And the reason that the stay-at-home mom feels uh, like a failure is because she feels like she isn't good enough. She feels like she isn't good at the thing that makes her her. And in her mind, the worse she is at it, the less purpose she feels like she has as a human being. See, these, these are all just different outworkings of the faulty belief that work is where we should find our identity. And while that may seem like a very modern idea, I want you to see that it's actually not new at all. It's as, it's as old as humanity itself. So uh, back in Genesis 11, for, for context, in, in the overall biblical narrative, human beings have now just been cast out of the Garden of Eden, right? And humanity has had it pretty rough so far. So there is there's sin, there is corruption, there's murder, there is injustice, there's all types of things, right? The struggle is real, fam. The struggle is very real. And, and we're about to see one of those struggles in Genesis 11. Let's go ahead and hit up verse 1. 
says this, Now the whole earth had one language uh, and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, in other words, away from the Garden of Eden, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and butumen, or a form of asphalt or tar, uh, for mortar. So a key advancement in history comes about called the brick. You may have heard of it. Um, and in the story, this new technology enables humans to build things quicker, faster, uh, uh, cheaper, and bigger uh, than they have ever done it before. So here's what they plan to do with that newfound ability, that new technology called the brick. Let's continue in verse 4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a tower, or a city with a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Now, if you like to underline things in your Bible, you might want to go ahead and, and underline that phrase, make a name for ourselves. Let's continue. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So these people in Genesis 11, they're, they're, they are going to build a city, which as we know, isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? People build cities all the time. Matter of fact, in case you were wondering, we actually are living in a city right now. Maybe you were wondering. I don't know. And remember from week one, one uh, uh, of our series, we said that God actually intended that you and I would be able to cultivate, build, and construct things. God intended that we would build cities and culture. So again, the problem isn't necessarily in what they were doing, but it is in why they were doing it. It's in their motivations for building this city. And the reason why they're doing it, we find right smack there in the middle of verse 4, to make a name for who, church family? Yeah, ourselves. Yeah, so they want to make a name for themselves. That right there, that right there is the language of identity. It is the language of identity. In building the city, they're not wanting to fulfill God's purpose of working the ground and keeping it, right? They're not trying to follow God's mandate of creating societies and culture. No, what they're trying to do is make themselves look good. They want to be important. They, they want to be noticed. They want to be revered, and they think that building this tower will accomplish that. Now, if you've ever built anything, um, the sense of accomplishment uh, is a real thing, right? When you uh, build something, like even for me, like I remember building a, well, correction, semi-building a birdhouse not that long ago, and man, I was proud of it. I was so proud. It was like mid-century mod. It looked really sleek. It looked real good. It hasn't made its way outside yet, but that's okay. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine building a tower that reaches the heavens, that reaches the heavens, how would you feel after you built that? There has to be a little bit of pride, right? Just a little bit. See, they want their work to give them purpose and significance. They want their work to give them purpose and significance that they don't feel like they currently have. In other words, they want their work to give them an identity. And if you know anything about the story up until this point in the Bible, that phrase, let us make a name for ourselves, so it should be causing red lights to go off in your head. Because from the beginning of the story, God has been giving humanity a purpose. God has been giving his people meaning and significance. God was the one who quite literally, quite literally gave them a name. But like we read at this point, humanity decides, hey, we actually don't want any of that. 
Like, thank you, Lord, for your name, and you can take that back, please and thank you. Instead, what they want to do is they want to make a name for themselves. They want to draw an identity from their work. And this right here gets at one of the most fundamental things we need to understand about ourselves. When we reject God-given, our God-given identity, when we reject our God-given identity, we will always try to find or always try to create an identity for ourselves. Always. That is just how it works. When we effectively tell God that we don't want the identity that he gives us as image bearers, it creates this sort of a vacuum in our lives. And what will happen is, is that we will instinctively or frantically even try to fill that vacuum with a number of different things that we think will uh, give us this identity that we are missing. But don't just take my word for it. Jeremiah 2 puts it like this. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, God, uh, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So this verse echoes this very same idea that, that we as God's people, re- that we as God's people reject God, the fountain of living waters. And because of that, we have begun to, as it says, hew out cisterns for ourselves which is a symbolic way of depicting other sources of meaning, other sources of purpose, other sources of significance in our lives. In other words, when we reject God's identity for us, we will instinctively look for it in other places. Let me say that again. When we reject God's identity for us, we will instinctively look for it in other places. And the picture the author of Jeremiah uses for that is hewing out cisterns. Now, cisterns back in the day were these large bowls that, would, uh, that were made out of stone that would collect rainwater runoff, but they would often break. So the picture is, is that when we reject God, the best source for living water, we settle for something far less effective. And in this case, it's broken cisterns. And if human history has shown us anything, it's that there is no end to the types of cisterns we'll try to create for ourselves. There's an infinite number of identities we will look towards to try and establish some sort of name for ourselves. So sometimes it's in our appearance, right? Sometimes it's our possessions. Maybe for you, it's your politics or your gender. Maybe it's sexuality. Uh, For for many of us, especially during this time, uh, it's a cultivated image on social media, right? That is a big one. And the list goes on. There, there are all sorts of places that we will look to to find an identity. But one favorite approach for a lot of people is to find that their identity in work. To look to our job, to look to our career, to, uh, uh, to look to the company that we work for, the school that we go to, the amount of impact that we are having, or the quality of our work to be able to tell us who we are to obtain some uh, uh, meaning or purpose or significance for ourselves, or as Genesis 11 would say, to make a name for ourselves. See, plenty of people, even those outside of the church, have noticed this tendency in humans. In an article from The Atlantic last year, writer Derek Thompson, who does not claim to be a follower of Jesus, described the problem like this, and I think he's spot on. He says this, the economists of the early 20th century did not foresee that work would evolve from means of material production to a means of identity production. 
They failed to anticipate that for the, for the poor and middle class, work would um, remain a necessity, but for the college, uh, but for the college-educated elite. It would morph into a kind of religion, promising identity, transcendence, and community. Call it workism. The decline of traditional faith in America has coincided with the explosion of new atheisms. Some people worship beauty, some worship political identities, and other, others worship children. But everybody worships something. Everybody worships something. And workism is among the most potent of the new religions competing for congregants. What is workism? It is the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but also the centerpiece of one's identity and life's purpose. So Derek Thompson basically said, work has, begun, uh, has gone beyond a thing you do for a paycheck. It's gone beyond that and has now become a means of establishing your identity and worth in the universe. More and more people are looking to work to tell them who they are. And let's just, uh, let's be honest about something real quick. For some of us, for some of us in the room right now, for some of us online right now, that goes really well a lot of the time, right? Like sometimes we actually successfully build that tower. Some of you, I know, are doing what you love and love what you are doing. You, uh, you've got a job that is right up your alley. It's exactly what you're passionate about and you're really good at it. You really are. And so for you, work is actually pretty enjoyable most of the time. Maybe you even get recognized by your peers, your employers, as being good at what you do. And hear me say, church fam, there, there is nothing wrong with that in and of itself, right? That's actually fantastic. Please continue to do good. Continue to be good at what you do, at where you work. But hear me say, if we are not careful, if we're not careful, we will take a good thing from the Lord. We will take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing. We will take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing. And it can easily become our functional identity. It, become, it, can, it can become where we go to find our purpose, where we go to find our meaning, where we go to find our significance, rather than in the person and work of who Jesus is. Now, for the rest of us, what I just described to you probably sounded like a fairy tale. Uh, maybe for you, uh, you're like, hey, actually, this is how it is. I don't necessarily love what I am doing at my job. <laughs> maybe for you, you've been working the same dead-end job for years or jumping from job to job. And if we're honest, you haven't really enjoyed any of them for very long. Like for you, your job feels way more like a broken cistern that will hold no water. That's what work feels like for you, like something you, you want to find meaning and purpose in, but it just won't hold any water long enough for you to be able to drink from it. But what I want you to see is that in both scenarios, both of those scenarios, believe it or not, the core problem is actually still the same. The issue is that, that we are looking to our work to give us something instead of being able to give something to our work. Work, in essence, has become a self-oriented pursuit. I work because I need a purpose. I work because I need a meaning. I need significance. I believe that work will provide that for me. I work because I need to feel like I matter in the world. 
But if we remember from the past two weeks, that's, that's actually very different than what the scriptures actually teach about work. Because the scriptures, they would, they would say that work is actually primarily about serving. It's about giving. It's about offering something to the society and world around us. It's not primarily about serving ourselves. And when we look to work to establish our identity, we are turning work into a means of service to ourselves. So um, here's how that looks for me. I am what you call a lay pastor, which basically means that this is not my full-time job. I actually work at UT as a senior graphic designer. Now, I'm not sure if there is an age requirement for that role, but apparently I fit the bill as senior. Um, I would actually like to call myself a well-seasoned graphic designer instead, but that's that point is mute. Uh, anywho, as a graphic designer, I create things for our campus, right? Create things for our campus, for our students to be able to receive information in an appealing way. And something that I know about myself is that it's very easy for me to find my identity in my creations. It's very easy for me to find my purpose and my meaning and my significance in what I do. I mean, I literally create things out of thin air, right? I create things out of thin air. I create logos. I create swag. I create all these types of things for people. And I mean, some people might say it's really good stuff, like my mom. But it really can, it really can be intoxicating, right? Like, it really can be intoxicating. Like, I create things that people enjoy. See, if I'm not careful, it can be very easy for me to make a name for myself in the design world. Very easy. Matter of fact, I'll go one further. I have tried for the longest to be able to do that, to, to, to be able to find my identity in design. And it wasn't until a sermon like this sort of helped me uh, wrap my brain around this, that, that when I find my worth in design, I become less about serving others and more about feeling, uh, feeding this insatiableness inside of me. I become less about God's business of redeeming and shaping the world and more about my business. I remember when I was uh, younger and I would pull all-nighters. Please, please don't try that at home. But I would do this all in the name of being great. That was my sole purpose. I was building my tower. And I was doing it because everyone else was doing it, right? Right? Well, so-and-so, uh, so-and-so designer over here, you know, they're doing it. And, you know, this designer over here, they're doing it as well. I mean, I might as well do it too. Look, I'm not trying to get passed up on this. Like, I need to be out there hustling, right? Like, that's, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. And again, it wasn't until a sermon like this that I was able to, to do that. It wasn't until life group, until, until people around me, until my community was able to really speak into this. The Lord spoke into this. And, and, he, and he used those moments to be able to expose in me where I was finding my identity. He was able to help me to be able to not only spot where I was off, but also to be able to repent of it. I remember a year or so ago at UT when I was creeping back into this work identity and I was uh, in my feelings about a critique. I mean, I, I was in my feelings, fam. I was in my feelings, for real. And I'm sure my coworkers and my boss, they could tell uh, that was in my feelings a little bit. And guess who else could tell that I was in my feelings? The Holy Spirit. And yeah, he definitely kept pressing me on it. 
And after wrestling with it for a little while, I apologize to them for being in my feelings about their critique. And, and hear me say this, church fam, hear me say this. If it were not for God's spirit, if it were not for God's spirit, I would still be trying to fig- uh, find my identity in what I do. I would still be trying to find my identity in work. So I share that only uh, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, to show you that it's okay to show your cards in this arena. It really is. To admit that this might be a thing for you. And also to show you that no matter how good the job is, and believe me, I love my job, and even still, all jobs, all jobs, no matter what job you are doing, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a college student, whether you work in the medical field, social work field, teacher, whatever, whatever you do, all jobs are a poor replacement for the identity that comes from the God of the universe. They don't even come close to who God says you are. So in light of that, what I want us to do next, um, what I want us to do, do next, and uh, I want us to be able to go through a list of questions. Um, because sometimes it is difficult to spot these tendencies in us. It's not always obvious when we are actually in the thing, right? It's not always obvious. So we put together a few questions to be able to help discern whether or not we are finding our identity in our work. So let's work through these and see if the Spirit does a little tugging on you today. First up, is your mood overly affected by your work? Is your mood overly affected by your work. So if your identity is in your work, your mood will be disproportionately impacted, I like that phrase, disproportionately impacted by uh, the type of day you had at work. Now, I realize that all of us are emotionally impacted on some level by our jobs because our jobs are a big part of our lives. It just makes sense. That's, that's very inevitable to a degree. But there is a difference between being emotionally affected by your job, right, and being emotionally ruled by your job. Let me say that again. There is a difference between being emotionally affected by your job and being emotionally ruled by your job. See, if the, if the main thing that dictates whether you have a good mood or a bad mood each day is how work went that day, then that's probably a good sign that, that you are holding this too sensual into your mind into, and into your heart. So uh, let's do this. Let me, let me hit you with another personal. I remember that uh, uh, when I used to hit on all cylinders while doing freelance design, uh, basically working for myself, and, and when I would post my designs on a graphic design site, um, think Instagram for designers, uh, when I would do that and everybody was loving it, I was loving it, Right? When I would post to Instagram, all my friends would be like, man, I need to buy that right now. And I'd be like, yes, you do. I, of course you do. Yes. Yes, I am feeling that. So, so when all that would happen, uh, when my friends would want to hang out, when my roommates would want to hang out, I was all about it, right? Like I was on cloud nine. On cloud nine, I would clean up the house for my roommates. I would cook dinner. It would be great. Watch a little Frasier. Don't know if anybody's into Frasier, but watch a little Frasier. All of that stuff. Like, like I had all the energy in the world. All the energy in the world. Everything was fantastic. 
But if I had a day where things were just not clicking that day, everything seemed to go wrong. Maybe, you know, my creative juices were not flowing. You know, maybe I posted something to that graphic design site or, or to Instagram and there were no hearts, you know. I kept refreshing, but there were no hearts. Uh, uh, and then when, when my friends would want to hang out or my roommates would want to hang out, guess who did not want to hang out? See, my mind would be preoccupied with wanting to, to find the thing that I was missing. I wanted to feel like I had purpose. My mood was based entirely on the day, uh, uh, on, on the type of day that I would have at work. And all, of that was and, and all of that was happening because that's where I found my identity. I was finding my identity in where I worked. Does that make sense? So, so that's the first question I want us to ask. Am I emotionally ruled by the type of day that I had at work? Next up, do you compromise your ethics when, you work, when your work performance is at stake? Do you compromise your ethics when your work performance is at stake? So are there things uh, uh, you're well aware you shouldn't do that you find yourself justifying when it gets you ahead in work? So uh, let's think about it like this. You, you know you shouldn't gossip about people, right? But you will gossip about that person that everyone else gossips about in order to fit in. Uh, you know you shouldn't lie. But... You know, if it, if it helps you make that sale, well, you instinctively lie, you know, some would say deliberately, uh, lie in big or small ways. Uh, you know you shouldn't inflate those numbers. But if it makes you look just a little better on paper, sometimes you just do a little inflating. You never thought you'd be the type of person to, to cheat on your exam or on your paper but when it comes right down to it, if you really need to pass that one class to keep your four-year plan on track, you're cool with it. So are there, things that, that, are there things that are actually pretty clear, ethically speaking, but you're willing to fudge on them a little bit or a lot of bit if it helps you look a little better at work? If so, then that could be a sign that you're looking to work to establish an identity, to, to make a name for yourself. And you're, you're willing to do anything to be able to make a name for yourself. Next up, do you find it hard to turn work off? Do you find it hard to turn work off? So do you find it hard to, to be present with people outside of work because your mind and attention are always on work? Do you talk about work constantly? Like, so constantly, even when the people listening are very, uh, very obviously not interested. Do you check your work email constantly, even when you're not at work and, and, and don't have to be checking it? Do you have all, all of your work notifications turned on? For clarification, hear me say this. I'm aware that uh, uh, some of us uh, have to stay connected to our work at times, right? Uh, you have the type of job where you're officially or unofficially on call at certain times. We have plenty of people in our church family that are in the medical field or in social work, so I'm not talking about those types of jobs. Uh, I'm talking about when your mind is on work and it doesn't have to be. Are you still preoccupied with it? Like when you are going on date nights and work calls, are you preoccupied with work? 
hanging out with your kids, checking your work emails while you're doing that, kicking it with your friends, maybe playing some board games, and you're constantly checking work out. Are you still preoccupied with it? If you are, then that would be another sign that your identity might be in work. Next one. Do you make life decisions based entirely on work? Do you make life decisions entirely based on work? Sorry. <laughs> right now, if, if all it would take is a little bit more money or a little better job to move all the way across the country without hardly any second thoughts about it, that could be a pointer to where your identity lies. If a better job is the only factor you consider, if there are no other thoughts like, oh, uh, uh, is this a place I actually want to live? Or, you know, is there a healthy church family there? Or maybe, is that somewhere me or my spouse could thrive in? If those questions are not asked, then maybe, just maybe, that's where you're finding your identity. Because if, if it's automatic, guys, if it is automatic and there are no real questions being asked when there is a better job that pays more money, again, that is a good indicator that that is where you are finding your identity. Last one. You guys are troopers. Last one. Do you jump from job to job often and become quickly dissatisfied? Do you jump from job to job often and become quickly dissatisfied? If you have a hard time staying at one job for very long, even when it is a good job, that could also be a sign that you are finding your identity in your work. If you become quickly dissatisfied and disillusioned with every new job you take before long, that could be because you're looking to those jobs to provide something that they cannot provide you. Remember one of the things that Jeremiah said about those broken cisterns is that they can hold no water, right? They can hold no water. They, they can't offer you what you're wanting them to offer you, or at least not for long, because they were never meant to be the source of your identity. So those are just a handful of questions to be able to help spot whether or not you're looking to your work to, to give you a name, to, to provide you a, a source of an identity, now, to be sure, there are probably way more questions to be uh, asked, uh, but I have found that those to be uh, some of the more common signs. So for those of us who uh, in this room and online who answered yes to any of those questions, the next question that we need to answer is what should we do about it, right? What should we do about it? If we are, if we are finding our identity in our work or anything other than who Jesus is, for that matter— how do we go about changing that? How do we go about changing that? Well, we actually saw the answer back in Jeremiah 2. It said that we, God's people, have committed two errors. First, we rejected God, the fountain of living water. And second, that we have hewed out broken cisterns that hold no water. And the reality is, is that the first problem actually creates the second problem. When we, forsake, when we forsake God, we try to chisel out identities for ourselves as a result. So, so how do we keep from hewing out cisterns for ourselves? Well, we reverse engineer it, right? We don't forsake God in the first place. In other words, we let God give us an identity so we don't constantly, frantically look for it in other places. 
We let God give us an identity so we don't constantly or frantically look for it in other places. Now, you know in the story from Genesis 11, God responds in a very interesting way uh, to humanity building this tower to the heavens. If you'll remember, humanity could do all of that because they were in one place and they spoke the same language. So when God sees them building this tower to make a name for themselves, he chooses to, to spread them out and to confuse their language. Now, maybe to some of us, uh, that sounds a little petty, just a little bit, or a little vindictive on God's part, but I think it's precisely the opposite. I think it's actually love that motivated God's actions there. I mean, think about it. If, if God sees humanity pursuing something that will never accomplish what they think it will accomplish, if he, if he sees them spending their time and their effort and their energy on, on something that will never provide them the identity that they are seeking, is it not his grace to stop them from doing that thing? And furthermore, if he, if he knows that their pursuit of, uh, of finding a name for, their, for themselves will ultimately cause them heartache or misfortune or uh, destruction or injustice, is it not his love that stops them from pursuing it? So for you, might it be that the reason your work is perpetually dissatisfying is because God is hoping you will eventually see that it, can, it can't provide you what you want it to provide you? Is it, is it possible that the reason your work is exhausting you is wearing you down, like you're running out of fumes, right? It's, it's so that you might be able to see that work is a bad God to serve. And is it not possible that God is using all of that so that maybe just maybe you would seek an identity from him instead. In the famous words of C.S. Lewis, if you find yourself, if you find in yourself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that you were made for another world. See, you were, you were made for God himself. You were, you were made to, to be given a name through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You were made to have God proclaim over you, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. And until you believe that about yourself, any other sister you draw out will always feel a little empty, a little dry, and a little stale. But once you understand that, all of that, once you hear those words spoken over you by God through Jesus, your, your perspective uh, uh, towards your work will change. You will, you will see your work as an arena to live out of your identity rather than desperately needing your work to give you an identity. And guess what, church fam? It will set you free. It will set you free. Maybe some of us in the room and, and online uh, need to drink from the living water for the very first time. For others of us, maybe, maybe we just need that reminder uh, of that reality. Maybe we need a hard restart where our identity truly lies. Followers of Jesus in the room and online, can I speak to you for a second? I'm about to say something, uh, and it's going to sound very obvious, um, like so obvious that you're probably going to look at me a little funny. You may stare blankly at me, uh, um, but it's in my experience that it's the very thing that all of us need to hear. 
Are you ready? Living water is only helpful if you drink it. I'm going to say it again so you can write it down. Living water is only helpful if you drink it. In Jeremiah's day, if you live by a stream of fresh living water and you don't drink from it, you're no better off than the person who lives nowhere near that stream. See, the reason I say that is because I think some of us are trying desperately, we're trying desperately to live as as if our identity is from Jesus. But we're not actually drinking from the living water that is literally right in front of us. So many people who are putting their identity in their work or in a relationship or in their accomplishments or any number of different things uh, I usually will stop by. Uh, and when I ask them, hey, okay, well, when's the last time you've really sat with Jesus? Like, when is the last time you've done that? When's the last time you've spent time in the scriptures, you know, reminding yourself of who God says you are? They usually respond with, well, honestly, I can't remember. Maybe it was last week, maybe it was last month. See, the reason, the reason why you are thirsty is because you're not drinking. So can I, so can I plead with you this morning? Let me plead with you as, as someone who has been wrestling with this myself to just spend some time drinking from the living water that is Jesus. Can I encourage you to just sit with God and let him through his scriptures, through his spirit, through his people, remind you who you are, of your rightful place in his kingdom. Can I encourage you to do that sometime today? Can I encourage you to do that sometime today? And then can I encourage you to to not forsake that time every single day? And if you need help knowing how to do that, we have a team of pastors We have life group leaders. We have plenty of people here at City Church that would love nothing more than to be able to teach you how to do that. But here's the catch. They can't make you do it. They can't make you do it. So I want to encourage you to to make the most important thing in the day, the highest priority in your daily rhythm, to sit and to let the Holy Spirit speak over you. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Not this is a human machine who can make themselves valuable to the world by what they do. Many of us believe that. Way too many of us in the room and online believe that. Instead, God is saying, Melanie, He's saying, Tyler, Chris, Paige, Hayden. He's saying, come to me. He's saying, come to me. Let let my words wash over you. You are not loved because of what you do. You're not. You're not cherished because of what you do. You're cherished because I said so. I am already pleased with you. Don't, don't, look, don't look for worth from your work. Don't look for value for, for, to what you do, right? Come to me. 
Be under my roof. Find your refuge in me. And I will tell you daily who you are. Matter of fact, I will sing it over you. You are my child, and I am well pleased with you. As the band comes on up, I want us to take some time to be able to pray through this this morning. And this is going to sound a little weird, um, but instead of y'all just hearing me pray, I really want you guys to pray for yourselves. I want you to pray for yourselves. I want you to to pray to, to our Father and ask him if you find your identity in your work. Is that a thing? Ask the Father, ask the Spirit to to reveal that to you. I want you to be able to pray through those questions that we asked earlier. We'll put those up on the screen. Yep. Pray through those questions. And and after a minute or two, um, I'll go ahead and close this out of prayer. Lord, um, we come to you pleading, Lord. Come to you asking you, begging you to help us to find our identity in you, Lord. I ask you that to help us to take those steps, those next steps. Whatever that looks like for us, Lord. Help us to to find where we are putting our identity. Maybe it's in work. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in our possessions. Lord, wherever we are finding our identity, if we are not finding it in you, please, Lord, expose that. Expose it to us, Lord. Help, help us to see where we are putting our identity. Take the veil off of our eyes, Lord. Allow your spirit to, to work in us, Lord. Allow your spirit to work 
through the scriptures as we read. Allow your spirit to work through the people that are around us. Lord, we're asking, we're begging for you to do that, Lord. Help us to spot where we are off. And Lord, when, when we see where we are putting our identity, help us to be able to repent and turn back to you, Lord. Because, Lord, you are the fountain of living water. You're the fountain of living water. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your love for us. To be able to, to, to hear our prayer. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. Amen.